This is the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from November 27th by Brother Todd Burgess, titled Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. You know, as you know, we've been in the book of Matthew for the last six, seven months, going through the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's important that we understand, again, what Jesus is doing. He is teaching his disciples on that mountainside about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And I think that's been lost in our culture today, within churches today, what it means to be a true follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go about three years that Jesus had his disciples with him and look at all the mistakes they made, it tells you that they didn't listen too much to what Jesus taught in this first series that he taught them on the Sermon on the Mount. They had to learn by their mistakes and by the reproof and rebuke of Jesus in their life. And we need to understand that too with ourselves. We learn as Jesus rebukes and reproves us. And then those times when he says, well done, like to Peter. God showed you that. Not me, not anybody else. The Holy Spirit did that. And so we get those affirmations from Christ. And we have to understand that. And that's what Jesus here is doing with his disciples. He's giving them their, their first big lesson about the broad spectrum of what, what, it's going to be, what it's going to mean to be a follower of Christ and how they are going to be the leaders of the church that he is forming. And how they have to allow the Holy Spirit of God to do in them what God wants to do in their lives. And so often we want to look at those, oh, great, wonderful things that they're going to do. But no, Jesus says the first thing that's, that's so important is allow the Spirit of God in us to humble us. To these, the beatitudes that, we're taught, that we taught through those first nine verses. That's important. we got to have those Beatitudes, those attitude changes that only the Spirit of God can bring in your life and in my life. I mean, we can go so far in being humble, but we can't go as far as the Holy Spirit will teach us. And that's important. And then, so those Beatitudes are so important in the Christian life. But then Jesus goes on, he says, now let me show you some, some of the similitudes of what a life in Christ is should show in your life of being salt and light. And again, I can be salty to a point, but not to the point the Holy Spirit can do in my life. I can be light to a point, but not to the point that the Holy Spirit wants me to manifest His light. See, it's not my light. It's not my saltiness. It's His that He has brought into my life, that He has worked out through my life. And see, as Jesus was teaching that, he was bringing about these situations. And now what, what he's doing here now, he is teaching his disciples in these last, these last verses of chapter 5 about the one thing they're going to have to confront in their life. And what is that? See how well you've all been paying attention? What, what's Jesus been confronting? Come on. 
opposition. What, what, what's all that called? One, two words, really. It's sin, but it's all through self-righteousness. Self, our own self-righteousness, that's how we're able to justify, well, my hum, I'm being humble enough. I'm being forgiving enough. I'm, I'm, I'm able to do these things because I'm comparing what's happening to me to, and how I'm responding to how that person over there responded, and my response was better than theirs. Instead of comparing ourselves to the, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and his response of obedience to the Father that led him to the cross to shed his own blood for our sin. And see, that's where self-righteousness is. And the problem with self-righteousness, we tend to take and look at scriptures from a skewed point of view, from our own perspective. And that's what Jesus is doing here with his disciples now. He's confronting their own self-righteousness. And all of us as Christians, we are self-righteous. We are self-righteous to a point. And God knows what those points are, and those are the points he's going to be working with us through his Holy Spirit. And you know what? The only, one, the only person that can stop the work of the Holy Spirit in you and in me is you and me. Because we want to hold on to things we should not be holding on to. And we saw that. Jesus says, if, if you're angry, you've committed murder. He knows it's the internal sin that starts in our heart. That's the problem. Not the external sin. If you get rid of the internal, the external will never take place. And then he goes on, he talks about uh, uh, find a word, ad adultery. There you go, I had to see my notes. That, that adultery. He says, adultery, yes, there's that physical act, but the lust that led you to that physical act took place internally in, in our hearts. And so if, if you've even lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's attacking and teaching about our self-righteousness and how we must, it must be put down and brought under God's word, the true teaching of God's word. And, and again, this is what he's doing. He's dealing with, this, with the, all the kind of the false teaching of the, of, the, of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day because they had their own skewed interpretation of God's word. And folks, if we're going to get out of and really confront the self-righteousness within us, we have to have a correct interpretation of the Word of God. There are so many today that are not teaching God's Word the way it should be taught and the way it should be preached. And we have to get back to that. When what you, don't, what you hear in the Word of God you don't like, well, first, make sure what was taught was true. And if it was, then you need to allow the Holy Spirit to change your life. See, that goes back to the Beatitudes. And so we've gone through Matthew 5, 25 to 32, and today we're on verse 32. It took three weeks to get to those five verses, six verses. But I'm never in a hurry when it comes to preaching the Word of God. And so what we're looking at today is the teaching of Jesus, that 32nd verse. All right? Jesus' teaching about what it means about adultery. And folks, this is important. Last Sunday we saw in verses, um, previous verses about 
the scribes and Pharisees teaching. All, all he needs is a right in a divorce, you know, to justify their lust, basically what they were doing. And so Jesus here is going to affirm exactly what Moses taught in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. And I know this was the text kind of from last Sunday, but it follows through. And so we have to understand that how the scribes and Pharisees were teaching this was wrong. That unjustified divorce inevitably leads to adultery. We need to understand this. And so here we have in Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, it says, When a man shall take a wife and marry her, and, take, and come, come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write a, her a bill of divorcement, and give it to her, and send her out of his house. And then she shall depart out of his house, and she may go and be another man's wife. And we'll stop right there, but... You basically see what was being taught there. What we have to understand in Deuteronomy 24, the teaching there is not a command to divorce. It's not. It's not a command to divorce, but a command not to remarry a defiled person who has been divorced without a cause. See, there's the key. So we have to, and we're going, to, we're going to get into what is the fornication there? What is, what is adultery? We're going to get into that. See, to the legalistic and self-righteous scribe and Pharisees, Jesus was saying, and I can't remember where I got this quote from. It might have been MacArthur or somebody. But this is, this is what Jesus was saying to, the, to, the, to those, those scribes and Pharisees. He says, you consider yourselves to be a great teacher and keepers of the law, but by allowing no-fault divorce. Does that sound familiar? No-fault divorce? Yeah. You have caused a great blight of adultery to, con to contaminate God's people. By lowering God's standards to meet your own, you have led many people into sin and judgment. That's basically what Jesus was teaching. This, what they were doing with this bill of writing, this, this bill of divorce. You see, the Pharisees interpreted Moses' instruction to mean simply, well, if you find something distasteful about your wife, just divorce her. All they saw was the paperwork issue. As long as you do that, you do that paperwork, give her that, that bill of writing, you're good, you're, you're, you're satisfied to go and fulfill your lust over there, which is why you wanted to send your wife away anyway. See, this, they saw the paperwork as the only issue. See, the error in their thinking is highlighted by what Jesus said and what we're talking about here in verses 27 to 32. See, they prided themselves on the fact that they did not commit adultery, but yet they were committing adultery. Because what did Jesus say in verse 28 of Matthew 5? But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in, already in his heart. See, Jesus was bringing the truth out in the, in, in, in the forefront. Adultery is the lust that takes place. And in verses 29 and 30, what Jesus was saying there, he showed them that no sacrifice 
It's too great to maintain moral purity within the marriage bond. That's what he said. Pluck your eye out if you got to. Cut off your hand if you need to. And he wasn't physically saying that, as we saw last week. It's, it's not, he doesn't want you to go around and cut your hands off and all that kind of stuff. But he's saying, whatever sacrifice is necessary to get rid of that lust, you need to identify where that lust is coming from and you need to deal with it. you got to deal with your heart. And how do you deal with that? Going back to the Beatitudes. Allowing the Holy Spirit of God to bring, in, to bring you up and, and to bring out His light, His salt in your life. See, this is a work that the Holy Spirit has to do in us, but we have to recognize it and allow it to take place. And in verse 31, we saw, he, he again indicts them for adultery because they were committing it by putting away their wives, as we see in our 32nd verse, without a cause. Because after all, we, when we looked at those, that, that passage of Scripture, this bill, this bill of writing, that it was why Moses, Jesus said, Moses allowed it because of the hardness of your hearts. That's why he allowed it. And we need to understand this. Because after all, it was never commanded to allow remarriage. Now, See, it was an ease of divorce that made it possible to avoid open adultery according to the Pharisees and scribes. Only a little bit of paper was required. And that legalized their lust. What do we do today? We're no better. Today, we just people just live together. Right? Even in churches, you find folks that are just living together. But yet in verse 32, our text is, here it says, Jesus is going to confront them with the proper interpretation. He says in verse 32 of our text, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. You see, if a man... And we're going to find out, or if a woman divorces his wife or husband on grounds other than actual adultery, it causes her him to commit adultery if they remarry. And so if a, if a man remarries or the woman remarries, they're also committing adultery. Jesus exemplifies this in Mark 10, 11 and 12. He says, He that he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery. Against her. And if a woman put away her husband, now that's kind of unusual because you usually don't see that, but Jesus is bringing out a very clear point. If a woman put away her husband and be married to another, she commits adultery. And so Jesus' statement clearly teaches that a man or a woman who has no right to divorce has no right to remarry. We need to understand this. This is not... My word, this is God's word. And so what's the only cause that justifies a divorce? Well, he says there, fornication. Now, so what is fornication? Well, that word there is pornea, and it refers to any 
illicit sexual intercourse, whether or not the parties are married or not. See, it's a very broad term that encompasses any kind of illicit sexual intercourse, whether you're married or not. And what we see here in our text in Matthew 5, 31 to 32, it focuses on, we're focusing here on divorce and, 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 and marriage. And so the only cause given here by Jesus is fornication. And so it includes adultery. But we have to understand something. What was in, in Deuteronomy when Moses wrote this in 24? What was the punishment for actual adultery? Stoning by death. And then that person was what? The, the, the guilty party was dead. The innocent party was allowed to remarry, right? Because what, what separates marriage in God's eyes? Death. Okay, keep that in mind. But when you look at fornication, this word permia also includes a lot of other sexual deviance. Okay? Incest, prostitution, homosexuality, bestiality. And I know this is not popular in the, in the world today. For, for someone to say this, but it's wrong. It's sinful. Okay? It goes against God's plan for marriage. And all of that deviance there listed, it comes from Leviticus 20, verses 10 to 14, if you, and you can look that up, but that's fine. But that's where it came from. And all of those acts that I just mentioned, they all were to be stoned to death. That was the punishment. So all of that, if someone was involved, in Moses, they would have been stoned to death. And so when Moses wrote this bill, this bill of divorcement, obviously those acts had not taken place in that marriage. Otherwise, they, the, the guilty party would have been stoned. He was, the heart, that's why he said the hardness of their heart, Moses wrote that. Allowing. Okay? And so, when you look at adultery now, adultery is, that, first of all, we have to understand it's a reality that God never intended. It's a result of our own lust, our own selfishness, our own self-righteousness that, that God that this has come up. And so adultery is the only thing that can break the bond of marriage. Because as we've talked about, those that were involved in adultery, they were, the guilty parties were stoned. Because death is the only thing that breaks the bond of marriage, so death do us part. And so Jesus here specifically mentions divorce being permissible on the grounds of actual adultery, fornication. And again, you see that in Matthew 19, verses 8 and 9, where he saith unto them, Moses, here you go, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. This was never God's plan. And in verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, committeth adultery. And we know that could be man or woman there. 
You see, again, if we go back to Matthew 5, and we talked about this in verses 18 and 19, Jesus says he didn't come to, to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. And so what Jesus is doing, part of his fulfilling the law is making sure that it's interpreted correctly, that we apply the truths to our heart the way they should be. Proper interpretation is what's important in order to fulfill the law, the law of God. And if we are avoiding our own self-righteousness, we know that the law doesn't save. Jesus does. Okay? The law reveals our sin. That's what it does. And so here's kind of the, kind of the quandary that I, I kind of ran into when, with, when looking at these, uh, these passages of Scripture, that it appears that sometime during Israel's history, the penalty for adultery was changed. It was changed. Allowing divorce to take place of stoning. I don't know where that change took place. I, I haven't seen it anywhere. But Jesus, in our text, affirms that change. And we ought to be grateful for that. You want to know why? Because it shows the mercy of God to the guilty party. And so, possibly it could be God's own example his own recognition and regulation of divorce when it came to him and Israel. Because scripture refers to, to God, Israel being God's adulterous wife. Jeremiah 3.8, it says, And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorcement. But you never see. I mean, here's... When it comes at, with, with the nation of Israel, there was actual adultery taking place, resulting in divorce. But you never see God remarrying. And we see the example of Hosea the prophet, who was to take on Gomer. And, and that whole story that took place, and eventually he had to go and he had to buy Gomer back off the, off the auction block for just a couple pence. You know? That's what, God's, that's what Jesus did for us. And we'll always. And so, why did God allow divorce to replace the death penalty? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Maybe people that are smarter than me might be able to. But ultimately, God, in His mercy, chose Himself not to enforce the death penalty here in this situation. But we have to understand this is consistent with God's divine nature, isn't it? Isn't this consistent with who our God is? A loving, merciful, willing to forgive, compassionate. This is who God is. And this is who he wants us to be. We are to, we are to be his children. We are, if we're to be followers of Christ, we are to be ones that are able to forgive as God has forgiven us. In fact, Jesus emulates this. See, we see this in Jesus himself when, when the Pharisees... <coughs> When the scribes and Pharisees brought this, quote, woman caught in the very act of adultery. This is in John 8. We see that. My first question would be, where is the man? I mean, if you're caught in the very act, that means they barged in the room, took, took both away. Both would have been stoned. Where is the man? It shows the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees, of their teaching. They're trying to trap Jesus in this. 
wanted Jesus to say, yep, stoner. Oh, now, now they can do something against him. See, in John 8, 4, it says, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in the very act of adultery. And then later on, verse 7, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto him, he that's without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. We see this act of God's compassion. This lady was guilty. But you know what Jesus did? Because he saw in her genuine um, the word just went from me. Remorse, thank you. Gen genuine remorse for her sin. Jesus says, I too forgive you. See, this, this brings to us the concept that Peter thought he was being real bright and smart when he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven? No. 70 times seven. Otherwise, you, you forgive and you forgive and you forgive as many times as it takes. And this is what we see here with Jesus. And this is what he's teaching to his disciples. That we have to have a forgiving heart, a compassionate heart as to be a follower of Christ. This is what's needed today. This is what I thought, I believe, so many Christians have either not been taught, have not learned. That compassion. Because we want to hold on to our rights, especially as Americans. We have rights, really. We only have what Jesus has given us, and that is to be a follower of him to take on the same things that he took on and to go through them just as he went through them. Which means humbling ourselves and putting the other person first, ahead of ourselves. See, divorce was never, ever commanded. Even if it was with a cause, it was never commanded. It was always to be a last resort, to be used only, now listen to this, only when unrepentant fornication had exhausted the patient, the patience of the, of the innocent spouse. How many times do you forgive? But if there's unrepentance on the guilty party's part, there is a time, yes, divorce. One to take that ugliness out of the home, to protect the, 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 the spouse that is faithful, to protect the children from that wrong example. Okay? There is a time for it. There is a time for it. And God, in his, in his mercy and grace, he understood that. We're frail, we're sinful. He understands that. And then in those situations, if that spouse needs to remarry, they are justified to remarry. You see, if God permitted divorce rather than the death penalty to be the consequence for someone who is in sin because of adultery, 
this is, this is on me, why would he not also permit the remarriage? Since remarriage would be perfectly allowable under the original law of death. He says, adultery is the cause that separates a marriage. But again, it's not just, I don't believe it's just a one-time thing. It's because someone who is ongoing, ongoing, and they have an unrepentant heart. There comes a time when a child of God has to separate from that individual. The church has the same obligation. If there's, if there's ongoing unrepentance, the church needs to separate from that individual, put them out. Why? For restoration. Everything we do is for restoration, to restore the guilty party. And so if that spouse who was innocent in this thing can stay separate, can stay single, and, and they should try to do that to the best of their ability, but if they're not able to, they need to get married again. After all, the purpose of divorce was what? To show mercy to the guilty party. It really is. It shows mercy to the guilty party. But it also shows grace to the innocent party. To keep them from a life of loneliness or misery or whatever hardships may come to them. See, he's, Jesus here is simply saying that divorce and remarriage on any other grounds always leads to adultery. But as a concession to sin and as a gracious provision for those who are innocent of defiling the marriage, he allows divorce on the grounds of fornication. Now, we have to, we have to understand, as I mentioned last week, adultery, that's, it's a sin and God can forgive it. And God can bring about his goodness even through those situations. All things work together for good, God says, if you just turn it to him and let him work it out. And that means he's going to deal with the individuals, both the innocent and the guilty. See, Jesus does not advocate divorce, much less demand it. He simply sets the record straight that God still hates divorce and that his plan for marriage is still a monogamous, lifelong union between one man and one woman until death ends that marriage. That's God's view. It's not the world's today. In fact, the world is doing, as I mentioned last week, the world is trying to pass laws that are ultimately trying to take away what God established in marriage, in the family, we can't let those things come into, into God's house, no matter what persecution may come of it. We have to be true and faithful to him. And that's what Jesus here is, is dealing when, he, when you deal with our own self-righteousness. We can't justify what we, do, what we do if it's contrary to the word of God. We have to confess it before God and let him right the wrongs. And yes, God can forgive and has forgiven it says right here about adultery. He can do that and will do that. Now, sometimes we've got to deal with the consequences of sin. God doesn't always put the consequences aside. Many times those things are there. But we have to be upfront and allow God to be God. His word is his word, not my word, not your word. It's his word. And it instructs us on how we are to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ today? 
if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and what's being said, what's being taught is really irritating to you today. Because there's times when I hear pastors preach and it irritates me, but usually it's because of what's going on in my heart. We have to allow God to be God. We have to recognize that the Holy Spirit in us is saying, you need to get some things right in your life. Because until sin has been confessed, God can't work through us. Because that sin interferes with our relationship with God. I mentioned in Al Max's class this morning that so often we want to ask for forgiveness and this and that, but until we recognize that our sin is a, is, is, is a sin against God first. Our, every sin we ever commit is against God first. We've got to deal with Him first before we can ever deal with anybody else. And that's what Jesus here is teaching. He's teaching against self-righteousness, that our sin is against God because of our own self-righteousness. That's why we're doing the things we're doing, because we justify ourselves. We need to stop doing that. I'd encourage you, if you haven't read through the rest of this chapter, continue reading through it because he goes on and continues dealing with self-righteousness. But these are two important issues in Jesus' day and in our day. They haven't changed. Sin hasn't changed. It just has different faces. You know, it hasn't changed. If God's been at work in your heart, don't walk out those doors unless you deal with what he's doing. And make sure that you've got it right with him first. He will help you get it right with everybody else. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, visit our website at gbcak.org.